Well, good morning, Northbrook. I am so excited about this series, Run the Race. This I've been waiting 17 years for a series that fits me so well. I am. I, I hope you're excited because I'm excited about this Run the Race series. Any runners in the room? Any runner? Any, anyone that walks fast places? Okay. Oh, good. All right. Okay. Excellent. <clears throat> Uh, anyone that thinks runners are crazy need to have their heads checked. Yeah, that third service, and there's always more of those than the first one. That's, that's great. <clears throat> Maybe we should have titled this series. Never mind. Okay. Um, I love running, and, uh, but, I, but I get it. I get th- those of you that think runners need their heads checked. Uh, I've done six marathons, and, and every marathon around mile 20, I think the same thing. I need to get my head checked. Why am I doing this? Uh, but recently, uh, a couple weeks ago, I ran the Chicago Marathon. And um, with three other Northbrookers and about 45,000 of my other running friends. So there are people that like running, and I have proof right here. So this is the start of the Chicago Marathon. Can't even see the start line uh, in this picture very well, but there's like a red banner way out there. And so there's those are all runners in front of me, and there's just as many runners behind me. So there's your proof. People do like running. <clears throat> and um, it was such a cool experience. And I don't know if you... Uh, you follow the running world at all, but uh, someone broke a world record at the Chicago Marathon. Uh, they ran the 26.2 miles in two hours and 35 seconds. That is an average pace of four minutes and 36 seconds per mile for 26 straight miles. Now, people keep asking, no, that was not me. <laughs> Why are you laughing? But... Uh, I, I like to think that I motivated him to run faster because I was nipping at his heels. When he finished, I was just halfway. So I won't take all the credit, but <clears throat> but here's the thing. So when we start a series called Run the Race, uh, and then I'm gonna I'm opening this series, also speaking next week. Um, I, I get that it can sound, you know, uh, running is a hobby that I love. And there's some hobbies you can talk about and everyone's fine with. But I feel like when runners start talking about running, everyone starts to roll their eyes. You know, it's like someone once said, would anyone run a marathon if they couldn't talk about it after? And it's true. I probably wouldn't. <laughs> but I do want to tell you, you know, I started running right after uh, graduating college. Um, before that, I'd always been in sports where running was the punishment. You know, some of you know what I mean, right? Like, if you did bad, you would be punished by having to run. And uh, I never enjoyed running. And then after college, I was looking for a way to exercise, and I started running. And uh, over the past 16 years, running has become, become this very uh, spiritual hobby that I have, where I feel like my, my best times with God are when I'm running. And I feel like God has revealed so much to me about how I'm wired and about how he wants me to interact with the world through running. And so uh, I'm very excited to to uh, open this Run the Race series with all of you. And here's my, my promise. If you ha- don't like running, uh, my, my promise is that uh, you're still going to be challenged and encouraged through this series. And at no point will I or any other pastor challenge you to pick up running as a hobby. So that's my promise to you. Um, lastly, before we start, as I was praying about this series and thinking through this series, I felt like God put on my heart to just say one other thing, and that is, maybe you walked in here today or you're watching online, and you hear a series title, Run the Race, and you're like, oh, because you're already exhausted. 
you're tired, you showed up today, or you're watching online, you're doing the best you can, and to have someone say, hey, run the race, and you're just like, I'm just trying to survive here. And if that's you, I, I want to encourage you and challenge you uh, that for you, this series started four weeks ago. Um, not all four weeks, but just one message four weeks ago. I gave a message about a month ago on rest. And for some of us in the room, if you walked in here today and you hear run the race, you're like, oh, I don't want to hear run the race. Like I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm doing the best I can. Uh, I, I encourage you to go back and listen to that series on rest because for you to run the race well is going to require you first resting, setting some boundaries, possibly saying no to some things in your life so that you can create margin to live life well and run the race out of rest. Uh, runners in the room know that uh, there are days when you run and there are days when you rest and actually both are equally as important. And so for some of us in the room, if you walked in here and you're like, I don't want to hear it, that's okay. You don't have to. Just go back and listen to that message four weeks ago on rest and start from there. Start crafting a life with margin uh, so that you can get to a point where you are ready uh, to run the race well. So last thing I wanted to say before we dive in. So today's message is titled, Run the Race Living Intentionally. Run the race, living intentionally. Now, today's message is not going to be earth-shattering, groundbreaking for many of you. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think anyone in here is like, oh my gosh, live intentionally. Pastor John, I've never thought of that. I've never heard anyone say that. Um, but here's what I know. We all want to live lives that matter. We all want to live lives of purpose. We all want to live focused, intentional lives. But I also know that it's very easy in 2023, to get distracted, discouraged, to drift, and to wake up one day, and I don't even know if you've ever had this feeling, but to wake up one day and go, what in the world am I doing? And so today's message, while it may not be groundbreaking or earth-shattering or new information, I do think it is a necessary reminder for those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus. And so my prayer today is that today's sermon will be a reminder that our life is a gift. That our, our lives have purpose. And even in trials and difficulties, stress, mistakes, disappointments, in all of that, there's an invitation each and every single day to be a part of what God's doing in the world. So today I want to start with the Apostle Paul's words written to a church in Corinth. Uh, we believe Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth in the early 50s AD, which is interesting because that means that this letter was written about 20 years after Jesus was crucified, rose again, gave his disciples some last instructions, and then ascended into heaven. And so 20 years later, Paul is writing a church in Corinth, and here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, a couple of things about this passage. Um, running is the second oldest organized sport in the world's history. Anybody know the oldest 
recognized or, uh, organized sport? Pickleball. <laughs> not, not. Why do you laugh? I'm, I'm, so pickleball actually precedes that. It goes back to uh, the book of Genesis when the writer says that Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. So a little dad joke for you this morning. Okay, so uh, no, wrestling. Wrestling is actually the oldest uh, recognized uh, organized sport. So, um, but running is the second. And by the time of the Apostle Paul, running had been an organized recognized sport for 800 years. And Corinth was one of the hubs of these races in that area of the world. Corinth had many running events. And the people of Corinth were known for their competitive nature. Anyone competitive in the room? A few of you, you would have fit in very well in Corinth. Um, And so Paul uses an analogy, right? He doesn't just pick an analogy out of thin air. He uses an analogy that he knows his audience in Corinth is going to completely understand. And so he picks this running analogy. And he says, look, uh, you're on a race, and you are to run that race, not aimlessly, not just kind of like, oh, you're, you know, just walking through life. No, you are to run that race with intensity and focus. You're to run that race to win. And this is important uh, because previous to this in Paul's letter, he, he's, he's told them, look, you're not under Jewish laws anymore, right? So remember, this is... Uh, this is 20 years after Jesus, and, and Christians are still wrestling with, you know, Christianity has kind of sprung out of the Jewish religion, and so they're still wrestling with, when I become a follower of Jesus, what, what Jewish laws and rituals do I need to still observe, what I don't? And so Paul is writing to a group in the church that think they still need to observe all of the Jewish rituals and laws. And Paul writes them earlier in the letter, and he says, no, 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 you are free. You're free in Christ. You're under a new covenant. But now he continues because there's another group in the church that is like, no, we don't have to observe the, those laws and rituals. We, we have freedom. You know, we don't, we're, we're not under the, the old covenant. But that group is like, we have freedom. So guess what? We can just do whatever we want. We can just kind of hang out, relax, wait for Jesus to come back or we die. Like we're, we don't have to do all that religious ritual stuff. So we can just, we have freedom now. We can kind of do whatever we want. And so Paul writes and he says, you're not under the old law. However, That freedom is not so you can do whatever you want. That freedom that you have in Christ actually enables you and allows you to live the way you were designed to live with purpose and focus. He says, you're running a race. Like, you have freedom, but it's not so you can just kind of run around aimlessly doing whatever you want, waiting for Jesus to come back, or you die. No, 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 no. You have freedom in Christ so you can live as you were intended to live Running to win. Paul says he wants to run to win. What, is, what does winning look like for Paul? What does that look like? Is winning for Paul just kind of hanging out? He's got his ticket to heaven, just waiting until he dies? No. Is winning for Paul just attend, occasionally attending the, the synagogue, attending church, being a roughly good person? Is winning for Paul just kind of like getting whatever he can out of life and culture, just entertaining himself, and then maybe occasionally going on social media and ranting about the evils of the world to make himself feel better? No. So what is winning for Paul? Winning for Paul is doing what Jesus instructed 20 years before. Winning for Paul is going into the world and sharing 
the good news, the gospel, the good news, and bringing God's kingdom down to earth. That's what winning was for Paul. That was Paul's sole focus. So Paul spent his life sharing the good news and bringing God's kingdom down to earth, sharing with others that our world is not hopeless, that there is hope, that in the midst of the pain, that there is love, in the midst of, midst of injustice, that there are those that will come around for justice, in the midst of all that is wrong, that God is here making it right. That was winning for Paul. And so here's a difficult question, but I think it's an important question. For followers of Jesus in the room, what does winning look like for you? If tomorrow everything in your life went perfectly, like everything that you wanted to happen, happened, it, the day went perfectly, and at the end of the day, you were like, wow, today went perfectly, I crushed it, I wanted everything. Would your winning look at all like Paul's winning? I don't know about you, but that's a tough question for me. Because in the society we live in, in the culture we live in, it's so easy for me to get distracted and focused on other things. And, and, and my energy and my time, my resources are focused on these things that are not at all the command that Jesus gave us to go into all the world and preach the good news and bring the kingdom of heaven down to earth. It's a mission that Jesus started. Jesus demonstrated, Jesus lived. And of course, there's a lot, a lot in the Gospels that illustrates for us the way that Jesus modeled this life for us, that he's inviting us to live. But I want to point out one of them in John 5. So John 5, verses 1 through 19, there's a story. And I want you to notice what motivates Jesus and what doesn't. So John 5, verses 1 through 19, John writes, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. I'm going to stop right there for a minute. So Jesus goes back to Jerusalem, and he goes to the pool of Bethesda. And I think, you know, because this is thousands of years ago and halfway across the world, it's, it's, sometimes it's hard for us to visualize this. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be in Jerusalem less than a year ago, and I got to go to the pool of Bethesda. Um, no water in it anymore. But I took a couple pictures. So this is ancient uh, pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem. And again... Uh, not, no water in it now. Uh, but this is one angle. If you go to the next one, you can actually see where people would walk down into the pools. This huge, huge, uh, pool. Um, and so Jesus is at this, at this pool. And, uh, in Jerusalem, and I, I'm just, side note, actually I want to put the message to the side for a second. And I just want to speak to, uh, the conflict that is going on in Israel. Um, you know, I think it's easy for us as Americans halfway across the world to kind of disassociate ourselves. It's like it's halfway across the world. It's somebody else's problem. Um, but I was, again, I was in Israel less than a year ago, and I actually got to go to a small village right outside of Gaza and um, and talk to the people there, a very small village. And I and I just found out two weeks ago or a week, week and a half ago that 18 people from that village were massacred. And so I just want to challenge us as a church, um, as followers of Jesus, to, uh, to be in prayer, to start with prayer for the conflict, for uh, the innocent Palestinians and uh, innocent people in Israel that are, have been losing their lives or continuing to lose their lives, 
And I also encourage us as a church to be in prayer about what God would have us do in response. Um, because even though it is halfway across the world, uh, these are real people. Uh, and so uh, I want to challenge us all to, to be thoughtful about our response. And just because it's someone else far away, uh, not pretend that it doesn't matter. So that's, that was a side note. Now back to the story. So Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's at the pool of Bethesda. So one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry your sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. When someone heals you, you just do what they say, right? Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning, or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working, and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his Father, thereby making himself equal with God. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will be truly astonished. So Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath. And he tells him to pick up his mat also on the Sabbath. And this infuriates the Jewish leaders. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't seem to be bothered or care that he has just angered the most powerful people in Jewish society. And the text makes it very clear. Like, you know, Jesus didn't just anger the Jewish leaders like, oh, someone cut you off in traffic and you're a little annoyed. Jesus angers the Jewish leaders by this action so much so that they are trying to kill him. They're actively seeking a way to kill him. And Jesus doesn't seem to be bothered by it. Why? Jesus is not interested in popular opinion. Jesus isn't interested in people liking him. Jesus isn't interested in living an easy life. Jesus' sole interest and purpose is doing the work of his Father, is being God in the world. In fact, Jesus would say a chapter later in John 6, John writes, Jesus says, John 6, verse 38, For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. So Jesus, and we see this throughout the Gospels, Jesus' sole focus is doing the work of God in the world, bringing God into the world, bringing God's hope, his goodness, his love into the world in practical, real ways. But that doesn't stop with Jesus. Jesus invites his disciples. He says, you'll do greater things than these. Jesus invites his disciples and he leaves the Holy Spirit with his disciples and he invites them into the work of doing God's will in the world. 
of being God's hands and feet, of bringing God's kingdom down to earth, of showing God's love to those that need it. Jesus invites all of us to that same goal, that same drive, that same purpose. Where there is despair providing hope, where there is hate showing love, where there is pain providing healing, where there is injustice speaking up for the oppressed, where there is lack of awareness of God's presence, opening eyes to see the presence of God all around us. So here's something that's really exciting, even if you hate running. Every day you wake up, you are invited into the greatest mission in the history of the world. You are invited into something that has been going on for 2,000 years. Something that has outlasted every government, outlasted every other mission, Something that has, while there have certainly been imperfect people on this mission, something that has allowed us to be here today. 2,000 years ago, something happened and has grown and grown until you and I are here halfway across the world in a church because of that mission. And now you are invited into that mission every day as you wake up. Your life has purpose and meaning and you are invited into bringing God's goodness and love into the world in simple ways. As you love your kids, as you love your family members, as you love your spouse, as you love your grandkids, as you love your neighbor, as you love your coworkers, as you love your friends, as you show up in the world, and instead of sowing hate and anger and despair, as you show up in the world and love radically and share God's hope and truth, you get to be a part of that mission. You are God's plan. We are God's plan. And the good news is that it's not to put pressure on us because we don't save people and we don't save the world. God does, but he works through us. Through the power of his Holy Spirit at work in us, God chooses to use imperfect, normal people to bring his goodness and hope and love into the world. Every night... Uh, before I have run a marathon, I have the same routine. I uh, eat a lot of pasta. In fact, frankly, half the reason that I run is just so I can eat a lot of food and not feel guilty about it. So I eat a lot of pasta, and then I set out all my running stuff. Uh, the night before, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm nervous, and I don't want to forget anything that next morning, so I'll, I'll set out everything. I'll, I'll set out my running shirt and my shorts, my running socks, set, set out my shoes, and uh, even like the, the the nasty gel packs that I'm going to eat on the on the run, uh, like I'll lay it all out because I'm excited, and I don't want to forget everything the ne- anything the next morning. And so I'll lay it all out the night before, and then I'll try to go to bed. But I'm excited, so it's hard for me to fall asleep. But eventually I'll fall asleep, and then I don't know about you, but when I'm excited, I usually wake up early. So I wake up before my alarm, and it's hard for me to fall back asleep because I'm I, there's this nervous excitement that I'm going to be attempting something that is difficult for me but is also rewarding. A challenge that I'm excited to undertake. So I wake up and there's this nervous energy, this excitement that I feel. And I just wonder, church, do you, do you remember when you first gave your life to Christ? Remember those first few days when you gave your life to Christ? And, and I don't know about you, but I remember there, there's this like nervous excitement, this energy of being a new creation in Christ, being invited into the family of God and being told that you have purpose and meaning. And I just wonder if 
for those of us that are, have been followers of Jesus for a while, I just wonder if as we go through our life, we allow the monotony of life and the discouragements of life, the distractions of life, to steal the excitement and joy that is following Jesus. I wonder what it would look like for me, I wonder what it would look like for you to wake up each morning and despite difficulties and real hardships and things that we go through, despite all that, to be able to wake up with a little bit of excitement, with a little bit of joy, a little bit of excitement, a little bit of nervous energy, and and waking up each day and going, God is going to work through me today. As I show up in the world, as I show up in my family members' lives, as I show up in my neighbors' lives, as I show up and I'm attentive to what the Holy Spirit is telling me to do, as I faithfully serve today, the world will be different tomorrow. Eternity will be different tomorrow because God is going to use my life to make a difference in the world. God is going to use my life to bring his kingdom down to earth. I am on, I'm on a mission today and it's so much bigger than any marathon or, or any other mission. I'm on a mission to bring God's goodness into the world and I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know what interac- interactions I'm going to be able to have, but I do know it's going to matter. And again, it's not to put pressure on ourselves and go, oh my gosh, it's all on me. But no, no, it's not pressure. It's, it's, it's an invitation. Not to be perfect, but to show up in the world and love people well, knowing that as we do, God works through that to bring his kingdom down. So my challenge this week is that we would be people who live intentionally, who understand that we have purpose and meaning and that God is inviting us into something each and every day. Before we close, I want to give you two quick practical ways to live intentionally this week. Two very simple practical ways. So number one, wake up, wake up with purpose. Each morning as you wake up, find a way to make it a habit to remind yourself that the day before you is a gift and that God wants to work in your and through your life. When someone says to you, hey, what do you got going on today? Wouldn't it be, what would it look like anytime someone says, hey, what do you got going on today? Before you think of the errands and the job and the taking care of people or whatever it is that you have going on in your life, before all of that, when someone says, what do you got going on today? You would immediately think, what do I got going on today? I'm bringing down God's kingdom to earth. I'm looking for ways to love people. I'm looking for ways to be God's hands and feet. I'm looking for the opportunities God is going to give me to be intentional, to fulfill the great commission, to share the gospel, the good news. What do I got going on today? I'm part of a mission that's been going on for 2,000 years. That's what I got going on today. I love what Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4.7. Paul's near the end of his life. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Maybe for some of us, there's an opportunity to pray a very simple prayer each morning. To pray, God, help me fight the good fight. Help me run the race. Help me keep the faith. Each morning to wake up and say, God, help me to fight the good fight. Help me to stand up for injustice. Help me to speak up when I see something wrong in the world. I, may I not live in fear, but may I boldly step into situations that are difficult 
Help me to fight the good fight. Help me to run the race well. Father, help me not get distracted. Help me not to get discouraged. Father, help me to stay focused in running a race well today in the the next 24 hours that are before me. Keep the faith. Father, help me to actually believe that what I do matters today. Help me to have the faith that believes that, that what I do matters, that it's just not random, that, I, that I just, I'm just not living and then dying and that's it, but that, but that my life is connected to something greater and that you are, your Holy Spirit is at work through me today and that there are going to be opportunities that you give me. Help me to keep the faith. Secondly, wake up with purpose and then look for opportunities. Believe that as you go about your day, God is going to give you opportunities. And they, and, and they may look super simple. An interaction with a child. A conversation with a coworker, A random encounter at the grocery store with a stranger. But part of keeping the faith is a belief that those opportunities are not random, that they are divine, and that they're... The question is never, will you have opportunities to share God's goodness with the world? The question is, when you have them, will you see them and will you... Will you enter into them? To believe that God has entrusted you with people in your life that no one else is going to have an opportunity the way that you will have an opportunity to share his goodness and his love and his hope. I love when we read the Gospels, Jesus was a master at seizing opportunities. Whether it was a woman a woman at a well or a blind man on the side of the road or little children coming to be blessed by him, Jesus saw opportunities and he took advantage of them. And while you and I are not Jesus, the beauty of the life that God has given us is we all have those same opportunities each and every day to interact with people and to share God's love and goodness in real ways. Real simple ways. What would it look like to look for opportunities this week? So at the end of every marathon, you, you cross the finish line, and uh, it's, it's, it's an emotional moment. I've talked to marathon runners that have run lots and lots of marathons, and they say every time they cross that, that finish line, it is an emotional moment. Um, and then shortly after you cross the finish line, you are handed or placed on your, around your neck a, a finisher medal. Um, and I, I, this last time in Chicago, for me, again, it was a very emotional moment. I, I spent 12 weeks training for this marathon, and then I did not run it in two hours, more like four. Uh, but I fin- eventually, I crossed the finish line, and uh, the, mar- you know, the medal is placed on, around your neck by some stranger, and they say congratulations. And it was a very moving, very emotional moment for me. And um, so, you know, I take this medal, and... Uh, I put it in my office with all the other medals, all the other marathon medals, and I'm proud of this medal. It, it means a lot to me. But I love Paul's words in 1 Corinthians, going back to that verse, the verses we started this morning with. He says, everyone who goes in the games goes to strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. You know, someday, years from now, this is going to end up in a box somewhere. And maybe one of my grandkids or great-grandkids will find this and be like, oh, that was Grandpa John's medal, and they'll throw it in the trash. (laughs) That's just the reality. Eventually, this will end up in a garbage heap. 
And that's not to diminish the accomplishment. It's just reality of this life. But the good news for you and for me is that you and I are living life for way more than a finisher medal. You and I, as we interact with people, as we press through discouragement and disappointment, as we live our lives, not perfectly, but as we live our lives focused on bringing God's kingdom down to earth and loving people well and listening to the Holy Spirit's leadings, as we do that, we are working for way more than a finisher's medal. We are, we are working for a moment when we will stand before the God of the universe and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. That moment is going to be way better than any moment this side of heaven. And so friends, as we close, my challenge to all of the followers of Jesus in the room is that we would wake up each day not not with anxiety and stress, oh my gosh, it's all on me to save the world. No, if you, if you heard that, you missed the whole point of the message. No, to wake up each day with a little bit of excitement and joy knowing that we get to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And as we allow his Holy Spirit to work through us every 24 hours has beautiful purpose and meaning. So let's run our race well. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness and your love. I thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. I thank you that I don't have to show up perfectly in the world because I don't. But I also thank you that even though I don't show up perfectly in the world, you still choose to allow me to be a part of what you're doing in the world. You invite me to live a life of meaning and purpose where your Holy Spirit works through me to impact the world. Father, I pray that you would give all of us in the room wisdom on how we can take a small step this week into living intentionally bringing your kingdom down to earth. In Jesus' name, amen.